All right, Justin, sing me the most boring song you can with the word box in it. <laughs> with the word box in it. Uh, how does that song go? This is the song that never ends. This is a song that never ends in a box. There you go. That SpongeBob song. You know what? Fuck it. I'll give you a win on that. I had nothing. Oh, so yeah. I didn't plan this one out. I had no idea. We hit record and I thought of that question. So you do. You get a win on that one, Justin. Heather, nice. Heather, do you have one? Out of the box. Out of the box. Something, something. I don't remember the rest. It's a kid's show song. Oh, okay. I didn't know that either. Fuck it. You get a win too. Everybody gets wins today. <laughs> Except for me. I'll take I'll take two losses. You guys can both have wins because I, I was vastly unprepared for this one. I mean, maybe that's because maybe the movie that we are reviewing today literally inspires me none. I really want to keep that long ass pause right there in the episode. <laughs> that was slightly uncomfortably long. And I just I don't know if it's because like you guys agree or disagree with me, but we'll find out. Let's cue the music. Hey, Cinefans, and welcome back to another episode of the Cinema Slayers podcast. I'm Sterling, and as always, I'm joined by Heather and Justin. And today we are doing one of the movies, as voted by you, the Cinefans, to be the 20 essential Cinefan movies. And this movie would be, if you couldn't tell by the box reference, that would be the movie 7, starring Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman, and some other guy whose name I just don't feel like saying at this point. So, those people. So, as always, we will talk about what we like, didn't like, and everything in between. And starting us off for this episode, in a non-spoilery fashion, before we get into spoilers with time codes in the description, is Heather. Give us your spoiler-free spoiler free review, please. I don't know why I fucked that up. So this movie, I remember seeing it a long time ago. It had been a while since I had seen it, so I didn't remember some specifics of it. But of course, there are others that I did remember because they kind of sear into your brain. Um, but this is the interesting thing is this kind of movie is it's kind of right up my alley of movies that I like. You know, I like those suspense thriller type of movies uh, where they're trying to solve a mystery and all that kind of stuff. So it's a movie that, you know, by all, all means I should really be like, this movie's amazing. You know, um, it's not bad. It's just, and I, I do think for, for the time that it was made in, which is mid nineties, it was probably like a, a masterpiece in the mid nineties thinking about, you know, movies that were made during that time. And, Things like that and ideas that people hadn't thought of at the time. So this movie is, I think for that time, it makes sense that this was a really big deal movie. It is, um, it, I think it's a bit slow paced for me through a lot of it, which I didn't remember it was that slow paced. Um, I mean, 
the very last 30 minutes of it picks up and is super intense, but you know, it, it's, um, it's a bit slow for the majority of the movie. The acting is kind of from most people just okay. Um, which is weird to say because of a lot of big names they have in it, but it's only okay for the most part. Um, but it's, it's definitely one that if you haven't seen it, I do think that seeing it at least once is something you should do just to kind of see what all the hype is about. And, um, I, I enjoyed the mystery of it. I did enjoy the, the storyline I did think was really good. And, uh, but like I said, I enjoy those, you know, mystery suspense type of movies. So for me, the storyline caught my attention enough. So I liked that about it. I do think the characters could have been a little bit more fleshed out than they were. And, um, yeah, but I do think they have some really good moments in the movie, but they have a lot of just kind of subpar moments in the movie. Justin, what about you? Cool. So kind of um, in Heather's shoes a, a little bit. Um, this is really only my second time watching this movie. I, I've only seen it uh, one other time before this, and it was years ago, much like what Heather said. And kind of similarly, I didn't remember all of the details of this, but I definitely remembered some and I definitely remembered uh, the ending and how memorable that was and stuff like that. So, I, I mean, anytime somebody brings up seven, you can't help but think about the resolution of the film and how it ended and everything, so to speak. But uh, interestingly enough, this movie does come up a lot. Like when I see lists and people talking about movies that they like and stuff like that. I did a Morgan Freeman uh, Facebook appreciation post one time, just kind of listing my um top movies that I think Morgan Freeman has been in and just about everybody that chimed in had seven on the list. Uh, when we did our podcast about endings, um, some of the best endings, there were quite a few people that mentioned seven. So I think it's important to kind of lay out the legacy that this film has for that. Sometimes when a movie is predicated on how shocking, memorable, whatever the case may be, the ending is, especially in kind of like a mystery suspense thriller like this. If you can have a movie that's memorable and sticks out in people's minds, it stays with them. And this is a movie that definitely does that. And going back and revisiting this movie that's kind of what I was looking for I know what the mystery is now I've already seen it I know kind of what the answer is going to be so this trip for me was just about dissecting what did people like about this movie what makes it memorable what does it do uh the I think that the movie is very stylishly shot. Uh, there's a dark, brooding kind of grim atmosphere throughout that is kind of consistent with the tone of what this movie is. Uh, 
the gore in this, I thought, I think, especially for the time period, is very vivid. Like, like they don't, you know, you get to see quite a bit in this movie. The so the makeup, the special effects, and stuff like that. I mean, I, I still think that that was good as far as kind of the gory visuals of this and uh, the the character and the acting. I thought that Morgan Freeman, going back and looking at this, he really carries this movie more than I remember him carrying the movie. I do agree that there are definitely some flaws with this film and we'll get into more and I've got a list of them. We'll get into more detail later, but when this movie works, it really works. And I think that's kind of the the legacy of this film when it works it really works and there are some great scenes full of tension and there's some good lines in this movie very good lines when I went back and saw it and the ending I, I get it man it's shocking it's memorable so when this works it works and much of the reason why this works is Morgan Freeman like n- this is one of his best movies because sometimes I think an an actor's best movie is not always just a movie that is great, but sometimes you can be great in a movie. Your performance can kind of supersede what the film is. You're, you make it more than just what was written on the paper. And he definitely does that. He brings a balance, a humanity to this that, really helps carry the film. So I just had to tout him there. Uh, overall, if you haven't seen this, I do think that this is a movie worth seeing because um, I think I'd be remiss to not mention that the movie has influenced this genre. I mean, I think this this is the movie that I think influenced the Saw character. I saw parallels with the Jigsaw character in this film that maybe I didn't realize then, but I definitely see it now. I think that for uh, and there are so many copycat movies like this and so many movies that try to use this formula, the silence, you know, and then there's the silence of the lambs, which probably has a bigger legacy than this one. This one kind of comes after something like that. But those movies, you know, there are so many copycat movies that try to be sevens, try to be silence of the lambs, etc. But this is one of the few movies that does it where the sum of its parts, I think, is greater than um, than its flaws. So for the most part, it does work everything that you were given uh, in the film. So if you haven't seen this, uh, you definitely need to watch it. And I would strongly suggest not listening to the spoilers. Watch it through first, not knowing what's going to happen, because that's where the tension is. That's where the fun is really of this movie. So if you haven't seen it, you got to see it because I think his story Historically, it does have a place. I think this is this movie is kind of a tale of two movies. There's the movie Seven, the first time you watch it, <laughs> that's kind of great and builds this this amazing tension and is shocking. And then there's the movie Seven, any other time you watch it, which to me, frankly, is kind of boring. It's kind of plotting. The ending has all of its gusto and and shock taken completely out of it. I think, and I think that that's a big flaw in this movie, is that this movie only really works on one viewing. 
And then after that, any subsequent viewing, I think for a lot of people is kind of clouded with nostalgia of just remembering how shocked they were the first time and then kind of forgetting it's not really that shocking any other time, especially when it comes to the fact that like this movie, as far as being a thriller and all this other stuff goes, you're not really trying to figure out anything. Well, yes, ultimately you want to find out who this John Doe character is that's doing the killings and all this other stuff. You've got no way of learning who it is in the movie before the the detectives and the ending. There's no way to know what's going to happen at the end without just seeing it happen. So there's not really even any clues to figure out. It's just going to happen. It's not something like where the sixth sense where I actually think where a lot of that movie's ending is built on the surprise elements with this movie or with, with, the, with the sixth sense and its surprise elements at the end of the twist and everything it works very well because at least on subsequent viewings, you can like watch for the clues because that is an ending you can find out before the movie, like, or I mean, before it happens, you can actually solve that movie beforehand. And it's not like where other movies were sometimes, you know, through the trickery and everything and stuff like that, the reveal is just kind of fun. It's just, you know, like you get to see that gotcha moment type of thing and it's got, you know, there's some some energy behind it. This movie just kind of plods, just kind of happens. And with that, I do think it's incredibly flawed for that reason. I do think that it is not really deserving of so many accolades because you can only watch it once. And to me, those are always kind of the worst movies that any time that it's so good when you first see it, but any other time you watch it, it's instantly deflated. It kind of takes the fun out of it all. Because my favorite kind of movies are the ones you can rewatch. And even if they aren't exactly as impactful the first time, or the second time as they were the first time, there's still some other merit behind it. And while Morgan Freeman does do a great performance, and Brad Pitt does just a good performance... It's just kind of there when you watch it a second time. You just get to see these people doing good jobs and all they're doing is keeping the movie afloat till the end. Like, whereas like with something like Psycho, you get to see, I, I, I feel like the way that that movie's paced and the way that that movie's structured gives it more merit on a rewatch, even though you lose the shock value with your Norman Bates. And, and like I said, I already mentioned with uh, Sixth Sense. It's just this movie, it's a one-shot wonder. And while it does do a great job the first time you watch it, I found myself being tortured on a rewatch because it plods along. Like it's, it's, it's like it's marching in mud, like mud up to the middle of their thighs, like that real thick mud. It's like they're running in the quicksand from Kroll up to their thighs. And that is the pace that this movie goes at it's just a series of scenes that take place in between crime scenes and it takes sometimes way too long to get there uh so let's let's move along so we can get into these spoilers here uh justin recommendation and scores so overall for me uh yes i'm gonna recommend it especially if you haven't seen it um if this is something that you missed for some for whatever reason and you're 
just wondering if you should go back and watch it. It's definitely worth a watch if you haven't seen it. Um, and to Sterling's point about those looking to rewatch this or revisiting this, I mean, I guess really that's more predicated on what kind of rewatching you are. Some people rewatch things because they enjoy seeing. Some people try to pick things apart and look for maybe clues that they miss. Some people just like seeing the those actors. And this is one of the rare occasions to see those actors interact with each other, whatever the case may be. So I don't know why a person would um, go back and rewatch this other than, you know, like Sterling was saying, nostalgia purposes and stuff like that. So that's definitely an interesting topic, rewatchability and how that factors into how we should judge a movie. So that's interesting. I'd be interested to hear some more opinions on that. But, uh, but, but if you haven't seen this, I think you've got to see this. It's considered one of the best movies in this category, this particular category of movies, these sort of serial killer thriller type of movies. And I do think that this is one that you've got to see if you haven't seen it. Uh, overall, it, it, I like I said, I do think it definitely has some flaws, but I still, even watching it a second time, I still think that overall the sum of its parts is greater than its flaws. So for that, I can give it a positive score. I am going to give it 75 special deliveries out in the middle of nowhere exactly at seven o'clock out of 100. Heather, what about you? I do agree with Jastin in that if you haven't seen it, I do think it's worth watching because it's for, like I was saying before, for its time, I think it was an important movie and it has um, had a a big effect on that genre. Um, I think, I do also think the opening credits are really cool. I do like that. Um, I just think that it's, yeah, I I think it is one of those um, where you, I don't know. It's one of those where like, even when I was watching it this time, even though I've seen it before, I was still really intensely watching it at the end to see pretty much, you know, and I know we'll get into more about it, but still the last parts of that movie, like the last hour or like half hour of that movie, I was still just as intrigued as I was when I saw it the first time. So I will give it that. Um, but as I was saying, also, it's slower than I remember in all the other parts. It's almost like the movie is only leading up to that part. Like it's only having motions of things happening to kind of lead up to this part at the end. Um, I, but I do still think it's decent, you know, it's not my favorite of this genre, but it's a decent movie. So I'll give it 73 Brad Pitt's about to lose his mind with with somebody at gunpoint out of 100. I only recommend this movie if you haven't seen it. If you have seen it, your mind is more or less made up whether or not you want to rewatch it or not again. So I don't really see the point in recommending it or not recommending it to those people because you're either in like my camp or you're in the camp that just wants to watch it. So your mind's kind of made up when you watch it after after you watch it the first time. But if you haven't seen it, yes, I definitely recommend it. 
it, it deserves the one viewing because that's the, to me, the only time it actually works because and maybe that is the problem. Like with what Heather said, this movie's sole goal is to get to the scenes with the killer. And until it gets to that is maybe why it has to me like so many pacing issues is that's just the framework of the movie. And it works when you don't know what that's happening with that. So I'm actually going to give this two scores. Uh, I will give this if you've never seen it, if it's your first time watching it. I feel like this movie is an 80 an 87s out of a hundred. If you, I just realized that that kind of almost made it sound like I said 87. No, it's 80 comma sevens out of a hundred. And then if you have seen it before and you're rewatching it again, I think this movie clocks in at a solid 25 Brad Pitt's chewing up some fucking acting at the end of a movie out of a hundred. <laughs> so we on the spoilers guys. Yeah. Do your thing. Okay. This movie is fucking boring as shit. When you rewatch it again and t- like even the ending, I gave zero fucks. This was one of the like hardest times I've had watching a movie in a long time. When I was rewatching it for this, I was seriously having to force myself to not do something else while watching this. And I feel like it's just because I, I knew everything that was happening and I did not care one fucking bit about it happening again. Like, especially because like you can't figure out this ending. You've got no way of knowing that Kevin Spacey is John Doe until the end or, well, you know, until that point, until he reveals himself, you have no way of finding that out or figuring it out. You've got no way of figuring out that he killed Gwyneth Paltrow and put her head in box until you get to that scene. And with that, it, it just feels cheap on a second viewing because you don't really get to find anything. You don't get to like, like you said, we're saying, Justin, you don't get to watch this movie and look for clues because this movie has no clues. As weird as this is going to sound, this is a clueless detective story. And by that, I mean, there are no clues because even just like in the movie itself, the detectives don't actually solve anything. The guy just comes to the station and goes, yep, I'm the guy. So not only does the movie not solve anything, the, the, the characters in it don't either. So fuck, it's boring. I mean, seriously, at one point I'm watching the movie and just out of sheer habit, because I am so fucking checked out, I grab my computer to start playing some magic and I like get my computer and I open it up and I'm logging into my account and I'm like, fuck, no, I'm watching this movie. Like I have to watch this movie. Like I had to remind myself that I'm actually watching something that I'm supposed to watch and pay attention to. I was so fucking checked out. And I think part of it is also like exacerbated by the fact that I've got zero interest in watching anything with Kevin Spacey in it. So it was like a double formula of I'm bored as fuck to get to a reveal. I care even less about now because the reveal is Kevin Spacey. So I'm just sitting here just utterly miserable. I'm about to say something and I mean this 100% like wholeheartedly. While I was watching Seven, I almost went on iTunes to buy the Joker to just give me something that I would care more about watching. <laughs> like, I know I gave this a better score than the Joker, even on the rewatch scale. But I'm just saying I'm so bored, at least with the Joker, with how much I hate that movie. It at least incites some sort of fucking reaction out of me. And I would much rather that 
and feel that. I would much rather watch a movie and get instilled with fury and hate and just downright anger towards what's happening than being forced into like an apathetic coma of just not giving a shit. And that's all this movie was to me. I mean, I'll forgive some aspects of the plot and some of the dialogue that it has that is like, you know, pretty much straight up homophobic because it was made in 1995. So I'm not even going to really sit on that as being an issue with this movie because I'll give it that leeway. It was made in 1995. It was a very common thing back then. You know, the whole Brad Pitt, oh, I'm sitting at a table. Sit across from me. You know, I don't want people to think we're together. All right whatever 1995 that's kind of right on the money with how 1995 was if i was to think of a line that would describe 1995 it's probably that line true but just like i know that the whole point of the characters like between brad pitt and morgan freeman is morgan freeman was the seasoned veteran it was all about you know like the things when you go to the library and you tell the guys about culture and all the books and you loved the reading and all the learning and all the blah 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 and then you have brad pitt who can't handle reading a fucking book so he needs cliff notes and i'm supposed to actually think that they're like so diametrically opposed but they're able to come together because they want to solve this crime they're able to like you know, it's all that point to lead up to that scene where they're like falling asleep together on the bench because they're putting their differences aside just so they can sleep on the bench together, you know, to solve this case. Give me a fucking break. Like, it's just it's, it's it, it was a tired out trope in 1995. It's even worse. Twenty five years later, especially after. I mean, granted, in 1995, I, I, I don't believe I watched this movie that year. I might have watched it a couple of years later, but. I'll give it credit then that when it happened then, maybe in my own movie going experience at like the young age of 12, maybe that trope wasn't played out then. But watching it now and seeing that trope and all this other stuff, and it's not like what you were saying, Justin, with seeing things that like paid homage to this in that way. They're not using that trope because they're paying homage to this. They're using this trope because it's a vacuum of uncreative bullshit that this movie also stole from too. I just find it very hard to give this movie any real like acclaim just for the sheer fact that it's not really a thriller. It's not really a mystery. It's packaged like one. It's got all the hallmarks of one. It does everything in the world to make you think it's one of those, but it's really not because there is nothing to solve. There's nothing to figure out. This movie is literally just a drama that has serial killer elements to it because it is so hollow. There's just, and I, that's what I think bugs me about this movie is yes. When you first watch it, the ending and it's all the heads in the box and all the blah, blah. And I don't know about you guys, but I am severely undecided with how I feel about Brad Pitt's acting at the end of this movie. I was going to talk about that too. It's either so fucking over the top that it's just the worst acting in the history of ever like Manos hands of fate level acting, or it is so fucking over the top that it is the greatest bit of acting I've ever seen in my life. And I don't (laughs) feel like there's a middle ground. I feel like it's just one of those two things. And when I watch it, I really feel like I'm watching the greatest acting ever. But when I think about it and I'm not watching it, I think it's the worst acting ever. 
I just don't know how I feel about it. And I don't know if I can ever definitively give an answer about it. Because like I said, if I'm not watching it and I'm just thinking about it like I am right now, I would say worst acting ever. But if you asked me while I'm watching the scene, I'd say it's the greatest. And I don't know how I feel about that. Like, then that gives me mixed feelings about how I feel about it. Like, it's mixed feelings on mixed feelings. I am seriously sitting in, like, a box of mixed feelings right now. Just talking about that scene. Pun intended. Sitting Actually, box. no, I didn't mean that. That was a complete <laughs> accident. Fuck me. I'm a genius, too. Maybe that's the whole point of it, too. Is I was accidentally a genius, so maybe Brad Pitt made a shitty ass choice, but it was genius. <laughs> Who knows? I don't know. I just and then honestly, like if this was like four years ago, I'd probably spend some time talking about Kevin Spacey. But fuck him, I don't want to talk about him anymore. So I'm not going to. You guys can if you want. And if you're listening to this and you want to think about the, you know, your feelings about Kevin Spacey, sure, go the fuck ahead. I'm not gonna bother with it. That's the end of me talking about him. On to something else. I'm also not a Gwyneth Paltrow fan. I don't want to talk about her either, especially because of all this bullshit she does with goop. Fuck her, too. Not the same way. Kevin Spacey is infinitely worse. But I have a good modicum of hatred for Gwyneth Paltrow and goop and the anti-science just non-research fucking bullshit like tchotchke shit she throws out like fucking snake oil. I'm way more passionate about this movie. Maybe I need to change my score about this movie because I was talking about how boring it was, but apparently talking about this movie does incite some actual fucking emotions out of me. Maybe I need to reevaluate things because I don't feel this way at all. When I'm watching the movie, none of this feeling happens. It's just when I talk about it and see now I am feeling like I'm in my own Brad Pitt paradox again with how I feel about this movie. This is causing a lot of weird shit. Somebody else should talk. Heather, go. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I do get what you mean. I'm also not a Gwyneth Paltrow fan. Um, she was fine in the movie, like her role in it. She was fine. She wasn't really in it too much, but I loved she was her fine scenes for... in the box. <laughs> yes, of course. Um, yeah, and correct. I unfortunately, you know, don't really want to talk too much about Kevin Spacey, but the character of John Doe was an interesting character. And unfortunately for us, I hesitate to say it was, um, it was a good performance. That's about all I'm going to say on it though. Unfortunately, um, beyond that really though, like Morgan Freeman and Jason, you sort of touched on this. Morgan Freeman is the most consistently good actor in this movie. He is the most believable character throughout the whole thing. I mean, you just believe that he is this veteran detective that's like, I'm done with it. I've seen some stuff and I know how things are going to go and I'm over it. But also, I'm still interested in it. Like, he's very, very good in his role. And I agree. I think he was the best thing about this movie. I don't know. I think he... No? I think you are kind of selling short. R. Lee Ermey. Okay. They're captain. They're captain. Oh, yeah. There's also a full metal jacket. He's in tons of things. I love that guy. I think he was great the whole time. (laughs) Yeah, he was good, too. But I'm just saying, like, I think Morgan Freeman does actually carry this movie. This was definitely a... This was before peak Brad Pitt of Brad Pitt talent, because I actually think Brad Pitt is a really good actor. Um, This was before that time, probably, because as you also mentioned, Sterling, this was really just an okay performance by him overall. 
Um, I do think it was a little bit overacted, which made it not believable in a lot of ways. That ending scene, too, I was like, man, like Brad Pitt now, he would nail that. Like you wouldn't have this paradox feeling about his scene if it were like now Brad Pitt, I don't think, you know, younger Brad Pitt still figuring out his acting style and all of that good stuff, I think was not as good as it could have been. (laughs) I think that there's a handful of other people that could have done that scene and it would have been a little bit more impactful than the way that he portrayed that situation. But Brad Pitt now I think would nail it. I think he would be amazing in it now. Um, I just think that that scene, I, I, for what it was, and I mean, come on, the ending of this movie is tragic. It's very tragic. And I just think that the him learning what happened to his wife and all of that, I think that it deserved a little bit more of a like heart-wrenching moment. And it didn't really give me that. So I understand your... Like, unsureness about <laughs> that ending scene of his. There were parts of it that I was like, maybe, okay. But then there was parts I was like, ooh, what, what are you doing right here? Like, this could have been done in a different way. So, I get it. I totally get what you mean. Um, and, but I just, I really do think it is a really good reveal. I think it's a good twist. I think it is a very good ending in the sense of you do not expect it. You are right about that. You do not expect what's coming. But yeah, I mean, it is, it's not one where, you know, you're not going to pick up on a bunch of things watching it several times over and over. It kind of gives you everything. I do think a lot of the dialogue beyond them talking about the case specifically is very uh, one dimensional and very basic. And again, like kind of like that it's characters or it's actors just reacting to a line more than they're actually acting. If that makes sense. And I think that there is a lot of that in this movie, but that being said, there are moments and again, Morgan Freeman carried a lot of those moments. So I think, I don't know. I'm mixed on this too, because I just think I I would consider, and I, I know I talk about this movie a lot, I would consider prisoners to be kind of on the same like wavelength of type of movie. Would you guys say so? I don't know, but I feel like it's in kind of the same category. And for me, that's a movie that I would be able to watch over and over. And even if you know what the reveal is or whatever, there's just still even the acting and the story and just the little small details of a movie like that still makes it super interesting. With this, there's not a lot of that. Um, I do think it is interesting that most of the actual killing and violence and things like that happen off screen, which I didn't realize until I was kind of like reading some interesting facts about this movie. And I was like, that's true. It's all like off screen stuff that happens. And then they just find it later, which I thought was an interesting approach to it. And yeah, I mean, it's it has moments where it could be really great and they didn't get there. You know what I mean? Um, but at that same token, like when I first watched this, I was like, man, this movie's so good. But seeing so many others in this genre since then, it's like, okay, well, it was kind of like the catalyst that sort of made this genre something to look forward to, but it's not by any means the best of that genre. So that's what I got. 
Justin, what about you? Cool. Um, definitely a lot of interesting thoughts there. Um, I guess for me, uh, going back and watching this uh, a second time is that sometimes uh, on that first watch, you know, you're just not looking for certain things. You're just kind of it just going for the ride that the movie takes you on. And you're just kind of just experiencing it in that moment. You're not really looking to pick it apart or anything like that. And uh, when you watch it the second time, it is easier to see where the movie is flawed or where at least you would have liked to have seen some different things happen or some better things happen and uh, and stuff like that. So I definitely have um a, a, a list of things, but just to kind of talk about some of the good things first. Uh, I think Kevin mentioned it, but yes, the opening credits of this was excellent. Like the visuals of that, I thought that it sets the tone. You're seeing all these kind of gruesome looking things and this scrapbook being made that this John Doe character is kind of making. And you're seeing little inklings of that and then kind of the jagged font of the letters and all of that stuff. I, I thought that 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 sometimes we don't talk enough about opening and ending credits and stuff like that. Well, this film definitely has that. So immediately when you're watching this, there is a sense of unsettling that there's kind of this unsettling sense that it establishes with those opening credits. So I thought that that was definitely worth the mention. That was kind of the first thing that really jumped out at me. And I agree with, um, with what uh, both you guys said as far as when it comes to this John Doe character. Yeah, that was something that I noticed going back through this. There aren't a lot of clues that lead th that kind of help you figure out who this person is. It's true. You really don't know who he is until he reveals himself. All you really are being given is the methodology of this character, which is which seems to be that he finds these people that in, he stalked these people that have interested him and they're then they're committing some sort of sin. So he kind of is this, he believes himself to be this chosen person to punish them. And he punishes them in all of these gruesome ways for these sins that they've committed. So that's kind of what we're given. That's the premise that we're given. However, as effective as the surprise ending was, I do think that it gets really inconsistent with that character because all of the last kills are kind of predicated on him kind of breaking those rules. Like he makes himself because at first he's watching these people and even in the car ride uh, to the inevitable ending, he's talking about how he saw these people and how, man, I saw this, this fat, disgusting guy and he's eating so much and he's so disgusting. And that's why I had to get rid of him. Or he's talking about this woman who is so obsessed with their look 
looks and she doesn't understand. She doesn't appreciate her life. And all she's obsessed with is what's on the outside. And that's why I had to kill her. So he's explaining his psyche behind these things. And it's like, okay, you know, you're, you're, you're going along with that. You're putting the pieces together. But on my second view, and when I get to the end of this, it's like, okay, well, this ideology, these ideologies that they set up for this character, it kind of flips itself in order to have this ending because he makes himself the envy person based on how he sees. Well, no, I was just going to have a, I have a question about that, Justin. So finish this and then I'll ask you your uh, question about that. Okay, because the way I saw it is, okay, so that's what he's doing. He's scouting these people and they're committing sins, etc. But at the end, what winds up happening is he makes himself the sin of envy because he discovers Officer Mills or his Officer Mills is new to this city. He's new to this city. He's just a fresh um, detective in this city. He's got five years experience, but he's fresh in the city. So there wasn't really the time to stalk this person and I don't know really develop that envy that that just seemed like he if he was going to develop this envy that just seemed very quick because we know that Brad Pitt's character is kind of new to the town so on the second watch I don't know if I completely brought that but then he kills the wife um, who for all sense and purposes, was not a sin committer in this scenario. That person was kind of like just an accessory so that we could get to this wrath sin, which kind of hadn't happened yet. He was sort of forcing that situation to happen. So it does feel inconsistent to me because it was sort of like the rules that this serial killer was going by when we're introduced to him and we get the first few kills, those rules kind of aren't followed once we get to the final few kills. It's sort of like constructed. I'm technically envy. You are going to be wrath because when you see your, when you discover your wife's head in a box, that's going to drive you to wrath and you're going to kill me. So that seems kind of inconsistent, you know? So, and I I don't think I was thinking about any of that at the time that I watched it because the ending was just such a surprise and shock. But when you go back and look at it now, yeah, that's kind of two different things going on right there, or at least to me it was. Well, what I was going to ask Justin is what could he have possibly witnessed about Mills and his wife that would make him envious of their relationship or of their life? Because yeah. right. this pretty much takes place over what it looks like to be like a summer because she wants, you know, she's going to go back to teaching or whatever and all this other stuff. And it very much goes out of its way to show that during this time when they're making this transition, he's very much gone a lot doing the work, like trying to hunt him down. He is gone trying to hunt down John Doe the entire time. So, like, how could he be really what like what is there to be envious of? Other than the fact that he is married, that's about as deep as it felt is, ah, man, you got a wife. I'm jealous as fuck of that. Yeah. I mean, and I get that. And, you know, he's talking about, oh, you and your beautiful wife and all this stuff like that. And then just kind of what he's describing, like basically trying to 
pretty much sleep with her is what it sounds like he's saying and her rejecting that which probably maybe made that envy greater. So still, I do get what you mean, Justin, too. But I mean, I guess if we're on a technicality of it, I guess his envy did play into why the wife was killed because his envy and her rejection of that, you know, that was kind of, that made the envy greater, I guess. Um, but yeah, I do get what you mean because it was, it just kind of felt like he got sloppy about it at the end. Well, even well, not even so much the sloppiness, but just the 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 contrast of the spontaneity of that is kind of what I'm talking about. And Sterling hit on it like there wasn't it didn't feel like there was time for him to develop this envy. Did he just look and that's kind of what we're saying. Did he just see Brad Pitt? And go, man, that dude is fine as hell. And then he saw <laughs> Gwyneth Paltrow with, oh, she's fine too. And they're together. Uh, I don't like them. I mean, couldn't there have yeah, been any that. other, you know what I mean? Oh, why, why wasn't there, that's who he was envious of this whole time. Like, couldn't there have been this other husband and wife that he had been stalking? Couldn't he have seen somebody else in the time that he was, everything else was so meticulous. Like that person who he had locked up and was keeping alive for a year. So yeah. that a year to the day, they could find him. That's wildly inconsistent from the sort of spontaneous sudden envy that he developed. So I get why he killed her, but I'm saying the methodology seems totally different from what we were shown earlier in the film. Yeah. Like he was so patient for the rest of it. And then, yeah, no, I get you. And suddenly it was like, quick and then kind of to Sterling's point too when I saw Brad Pitt and Gwyneth Paltrow it it didn't I I didn't feel as an audience member that there was anything about them I should envy they were complaining about where they were staying because the 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 the, um the subway would come and rumble the house and stuff like that Uh, Gwyneth Paltrow her character she confided in Morgan Freeman and told him about the pregnancy and she wasn't sure she wanted to tell Brad Pitt about it and where she was but she just wasn't sure because you know she's looking for teaching jobs and there's this bad neighborhood and you know like Sterling said Pitt was out every Mills Detective Mills was out every day just trying to track these people and look for this and stuff like that and she didn't seem like she wanted to be there it didn't seem like they were having an envious life at that moment so when the serial killer says I envy you it just I didn't see anything to fully understand that ending other than Brad Pitt and Gwyneth Paltrow are beautiful people. Yeah. I mean, I guess, you know, people are envious of them. I mean, I guess, but it felt like the only thing that predicated that really was their appearance, but it wasn't given to us. They weren't shown to be people to be envious of in the film. They seem like just normal people just trying to make it. He was trying to be a good cop and she was trying to be a good wife. That's what I don't know. That's just maybe people are envious. Maybe that'd be something to be envious of. Just they were trying to be good people. But I don't know. Maybe what it needed was a better way to explain that. If if there had been a better explanation yeah. for that. 
maybe when he was stalking them, he saw something or when they started to trail him and catch him or whatever, he looked him up and he saw this guy with this spotty clean record and he saw this cop who believes in doing the right thing. And he just he just hated how pure that was that there's this cop with this clean record that is doing all these things. And here he is, he's killing people doing it this way. And maybe if there was some sort of way to make him envious of that, I don't know. I I, I don't know what that needed. Maybe it just needed a better explanation, but to me that felt inconsistent. So, man, I no, don't know. No, it I is, definitely get I, that because like the way you fix that is by having him stop killing people and just say a year passes. And then all of a sudden he turns himself in then. And you could say Somerset okay. retired. And yeah, because he came back, he said, no, I will only talk to Mills and Somerset. So they have to go get Somerset okay. and Somerset comes back. And then you have the ending the yeah, same way. And then you just say, yeah, I've been following you around from a year ever since that I you know, hit you in the head uh, in the alley. I've been following you around for the last year. I became envious of you. And I realized, you know, like, that's how you do that. Because mm-hmm. yeah, it, felt like, good. it felt like he was like super envious of the guy that he had spent like two days watching. And he's like, man, envious as fuck, you know, because like and then even then the whole idea of Brad Pitt becoming wrath also goes against everything because he's like become my wrath. The whole point of these things were that these people lived the sin he killed them for. Yes, exactly. Brad Pitt, killing him in a fit of rage and vengeance doesn't necessarily make him wrath. He didn't leave a wrathful life. He didn't live his life by the principles of wrath. He did it in a fleeting moment. And even then, is that really even wrath? That is seriously mental breakdown, killing somebody in, you know, that moment of just utter, you know, mental destruction. That's not really wrath either. Wrath would be like planning it out, seeking it, craving it. In letting it engulf your life that's wrath like the sheer in the momentness of it kind of makes it not wrath yeah and then also true. that still breaks the whole code of everything because then it's like the john doe character saying all these other sins are deadly except wrath man you can kind of live that's fine <laughs> if you're wrath you can stay alive like that is also an inconsistency in it all and I, I mean, I'm really glad you brought that up, Justin, because like that, that bothered me and I couldn't figure out why. And then like hearing you yeah. break it down like that, I was like, that's what it was. Like, it's how drastic his MO changed, especially because when you are like, as mo- I'm in, and I'm not meaning this in a definitive way, but most serial killers or killers of that nature that have that, that, that specific of an MO to where they are so fixated on something like that. And in his case, the idea of the seven deadly sins, when he becomes so fixated on it like that, he wouldn't have deviated like he did. Yeah. He wouldn't have gone straight into, I'm going to stalk him. I'm envious. Oh fuck. I got to You know what I mean? That was such a drastic change in such a short period of time. He could have eventually, yes, evolved into that. But since he was in the middle of the whole killing process, when it was all happening, that's not like a serial killer evolution to that point. That was a plot device because they needed to end the movie in a tight, you know, hour and 45 or whatever it was. That's what that was. Yeah. And that's exactly what it feels like, because 
you know, it was like at first everything seemed so planned out. He had these seven deadly sins planned out. And then it seems like they, they, they stumbled upon his apartment and that kind of messed everything up. So I get that. Maybe the plan had to change a little bit, but I just wish there was a way to better have gotten to that chase because it seemed like they almost caught him. There was that big chase, which that was another complaint I had. I couldn't tell where the hell anybody was during that chase. Like Morgan Freewood would be running somewhere and then like Brad Pitt would be chasing um, him, John Doe, and like I could not tell where Freeman was versus where Pitt was versus where that that was a weird say it was it was definitely like it had some tension to it but I was like this is very confusing the way this was edited but anyway and on top uh, of that why is John Doe <laughs> running around with a limp like he's hurting all this other shit but apparently this motherfucker is an Olympic level leaper like when he leaps <laughs> yeah, off the parkour. balcony and then when he climbs up on that dumb truck like he climbs on top yeah. of that fucking thing unseen by Brad Pitt or even by the people that could have easily said, oh, he's on top of the thing because you're obviously chasing the other person running down this alley. He does it in like 0.7 nanoseconds. All of a sudden, he's on top of this thing with a pipe. Yeah. Like, yeah. But motherfucker's superhuman, yeah. except he's running around limping half the damn time. <laughs> so, yeah, I was like, uh, but okay. But at least, but I'm glad that like y'all saw or at least could see kind of the inconsistency to that. Because yeah, I just, I just feel like these movies are always better when that MO is consistent, but this felt like he just got hella spontaneous. And that just wasn't what we were given at the beginning. And like you said, Sterling, so it just all feels like we needed that to happen so that we could have this shock ending. And to me that does diminish the shock value of that ending like it, it it takes away from it because yeah you don't have those kind of steps and clues to lead up to it because everything got so spontaneous at the end um uh so yeah so it is what it is i mean but there was a cool like little foreshadowing shot they do um in this movie so that's the one thing i can say that's the one clue the director gave you uh towards the 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 first kill um the or maybe it was the second kill the the one with the lawyer where he had the picture of his wife with the red circles on his eyes that was a for they did a foreshadowing shot there where morgan freeman said something like well you're whenever you got a crime scene like this you're always looking for there's always one thing you're missing you know there's that one clue that one thing that you're missing that ties everything together and then they were looking at the picture of the wife with the red circles and brad pitt says something something like uh maybe she saw something and we need to talk to her and then morgan freeman was like no maybe she um maybe there's something that she hasn't seen that needs to, that we're missing that she needs to see and he goes maybe that's it maybe this is the one thing that we're missing and it shows the picture of the wife and the immediate cut it cuts to Gwyneth Paltrow and she's laying in this bed and I went oh director I see what you did there 
you're, you're telling us that that's who we're going to be missing at the end of the movie. That's the only clue I found to the ending of this movie. I guess you could say that. I still feel like that's a stretch, but I mean, let's give the director, I guess, the benefit of the doubt. I mean, this was what David Fincher. Um, yeah, and he is a good director. So, I mean, yeah, sure. Let's give him the benefit of the doubt and say that that was intentional. I just, I don't know. I guess even like, I guess, you know, maybe it's because I didn't catch it or whatever, but like, I don't know, even just thinking about it, like the scene in progression, like the order, you know, you were talking about, I still just feel like that was just happened to be something the editor did. Like, he's like, fuck, I need to, fill, <laughs> I need to fill this transition in a little bit better. Uh, Gwyneth Paltrow waking up in bed and they're gone. You know, like it's, I mean, I, I could see it either way. <laughs> I got you. Well, considering how inconsistent the second half of the movie is, I mean, I understand your, uh, suspicions but to me that just jumped out of me it was like uh, that couldn't have been a coincidence they're talking about something's missing they show the wife and then they cut to the wife who were going to be missing uh at the end so i don't know it felt like it was done on purpose but i totally uh get where you're coming from but yeah i mean th that was but those were my main thing that was the only kind of clue and like you said it's debatable but that was the only sort of clue that i found in this everything else is really it's you're right you're not figuring out anything more than you are just kind of going along for the ride of this and like you're seeing what the person is doing you're seeing the violence committed and the only question is are they going to catch this guy and then they do catch the guy and i guess that's why the ending is so memorable because there was no figuring out other than man i wonder who's doing this or i wonder who's you know th that's really all you had um leading up to the the journey of the movie and i think that what helped that lack of being able to figure anything out or anything like that i I do think what helped it was like Morgan Freeman's performance. And it was kind of the, the dialogue pieces they had. I thought that the, the scene where Morgan Freeman is eats dinner with them, the uh, husband and wife, and they kind of have that little laugh about the subway or whatever, you know, I, I thought that was a good scene. I thought it humanized everybody. It kind of established everybody. I, I didn't have a problem with that scene. I thought the scene where Morgan, Morgan Freeman and Brad Pitt were talking at the bar and Morgan Freeman is kind of this person who has lost his apathy. He's on the way out. He's seen all this bad shit happen. He's kind of resolved that, you know, people are just, um, nobody cares anymore. This is why this stuff happens. And why should I care? I'm getting out, but he does care. And then Brad Pitt is kind of this, not this kind of cop who doesn't have the experience in everything, but he does care. And that's kind of their dynamic. So I, I thought that dynamic worked. It, that worked for me most of the time. And when they have arguments or they disconnect on something, you can see both sides of that. So to me, that was, that was fine. And the ending line I thought was a damn good line where he quotes 
Morgan Freeman quotes like Hemingway and he says, I think Hemingway once said that the world is a very, I'll bridge it here because I don't remember the exact, but he was like, the world is a very good place and it's worth fighting for. And then he was like, I agree with the second part. That that was a great line because, and that totally gave that character an arc because he kind of had the apathy and then at the end, he had his apathy, but he still wasn't going to concede that the world is a good place. So I don't know. I thought that that was a very clever line at the end of the movie. So th- so that's what I'm saying. Like when yeah. this movie works, it really works. And unfortunately, it's just uh, there are a lot of inconsistencies when you go back uh and and watch this a second time but man when it works it works and the tension like and that's another thing about it too this is the last thing i'll say on it it has effective scenes of tension but the tension doesn't really come from what you guys are talking about. The the typical good detective movie like this where the tension comes because you're trying to figure it out and you're trying to figure out, oh, what's, you know, wh- what am I missing? What is the answer? What is the, the narrative trying to tell me? Like how Knives Out was where you're, you're, you're putting together these clues and part of the tension is, oh man, what is this thing trying, what is this narrative trying to tell me? That's not what this does effectively but what it does do effectively is it just gives you he builds tension in little bubbles like in little scenes there's good tension but then it ends and then you got to start all over and do it again like when they were looking at the dead body um i want to say the sloth victim and so they're, so it looks like the body is dead and they're walking up on this body and they're going really slow. And there's all these like scented air fresheners or whatever hanging up. And there's this gritty, it, it's just a great, well, it's just visually, it looks great. And they walk up and it looks like this body is dead and they get all the way up to the body. And there's these scenes of, you know, Brad Pitt is creeping. And then you see the body from a far shot. Then Brad Pitt is creeping. And then you see the, we're closer to the body now. Then he gets all the way up on it and he's like, you got what you, he says something like you got what you deserved. Cause that, that sloth guy was a bad person. Then all of a sudden he pops up and he's actually still alive. That was a great jump scare. Like that scene is a, was a very well done scene. And that payoff where the body kind of jumps up on you. That's a great scene. But then we got to start over. And do it again. The, the the chase scene where the guy shoots at him, Brad Pitt's chasing him and he's looking for him and he's going through all these rooms. He's not there. He's not there. He, he, he breaks down some doors or whatever. There's people running out of doors. They're scared. He goes into this one room. There's children and they're like, he went out the window. So Brad Pitt is slowly going up the window and then he, he, he's hesitant. He's hesitant. And then he looks out the window and all of a sudden, you know, Kevin Spacey's shooting at him or whatever. There was some very effective tension scenes but they were so short lived and then the movie has to start over and do it to you over again and that's kind of what I felt like but there wasn't that cumulative tension that's built because the narrative is making you wonder how am I putting all these clues together that definitely is not there but the other thing I said is and I think that's what 
back then watching this, I think that's what people enjoyed so much. You know what I'm saying? You didn't get the real story elements because there are some wild inconsistencies. But what you got were like these pocketed scenes that were just very good with that tension, if that makes sense. I don't even know if what I said makes sense. Hopefully it did. No, I get what you're saying. But anyway, that's all I got. <laughs> so do you guys want to go into some numbers on this one? Sure. All right. So IMDb has this. Uh, so fans on IMDb out of 10 points, it's an 8.6. On Rotten Tomatoes, it has an 81. On uh, the audience score on Rotten Tomatoes is a 95. That's crazy high. And then Metacritic wow. is uh, 65 on that one, which is a little bit uh, closer to us. Um, but so some more of that, though. So I've got the box office numbers, too. Uh, so with that, so I mean, what, um, the point with the scores was is all of those are higher than ours, except for the Metacritic. Um, so, I mean, even Rotten Tomatoes is saying that, yeah, 81% of the critics liked it, but Metacritic is then balancing that out by saying they liked it, but they didn't love it. Mm, okay. Which is kind of a lot of the lines of like what you guys were saying and stuff like that. Um, yeah. And so with this, it was made with a budget of 33 million, which I can believe there's not even for it mainly being characters. There's only a couple. Um, they definitely didn't spend their budgets on locations because while most of the movie takes place in what is assumed to be New York, cause it never actually says then how, like why at the end does it seem like they're literally in the middle of California when they're in that field, that doesn't feel like New York or anywhere <laughs> like that. That feels like California. Right. Yeah, I did. <laughs> so yeah, they, it seems like they go from New York to California to find Gwyneth Paltrow's head. It's very weird, but so $33 million budget, it grossed uh, U.S. It grossed a solid $100 million. So it was a success even just in just America. Uh, internationally, it made $227.2 million, bringing a worldwide total to $327.3 million. So it almost went its budget 10 times over. Hmm. So that makes a lot of sense as to why the studio, oddly enough, wanted a sequel to this movie. Because how the fuck would you do a sequel to this movie? Yeah, like, what? But they did. They wanted that sequel, man. Because, dude, this movie just made ten times its budget. They want a sequel. I get it. but It's just like... Yeah, they wanted it to be, I think, Somerset's character. Something with um, a case he was doing, I think, is what they wanted it to be. I mean, the only thing you really could have done is a prequel with him. Right. And it wouldn't have been Morgan Freeman. Like, I mean, I guess you still could have, but that's it. You could do a prequel and that's really about it. Mm-hmm. Like, or you do it like an anthology thing where it's like seven and it's just like somewhere else. Someone else is doing some seven deadly sins killing. You know what I mean? Like, that's really about it. Um, yeah. But obviously they did or something. Yeah. Um, obviously they didn't do one. Uh, also, you actually have Brad Pitt to think for the ending of this movie. Because that's what was originally scripted and they did it. They filmed it and the executives and they did some screen tests and executives and screen tests. Like people hated the ending of this movie and mainly the fact that Mills kills him, kills John Doe. Everybody hated that. They were like, no, it can't end with him killing him and all this other stuff. 
And Brad Pitt was straight up like, no, it has to be done. Like, it has to be. That has to be the ending. He's like, I will do zero publicity for this movie. I will not do anything for this unless you keep the ending. And the studio went, well, Brad Pitt's, at the, especially at the time, huge name. So they were like, yep, I guess we're keeping it. And in yeah. all honesty, that is the better version of that ending. Yeah. Like having him kill him or not kill him. The better decision is to kill him. Like, yeah. And I was, and that actually goes into one of the things I read too, is that he was like, you know, you find out that someone murders someone in your family. Like, you know, you're, you wouldn't even hesitate. <laughs> and then, yeah, I think originally, like, I don't know, maybe you saw this too, Sterling, but um, originally um, Morgan Freeman's character was supposed to be the one to shoot him. Yes. Yes. That was supposed to be the original end. But um, also another little fun tidbit about this movie. Uh, All the little notes written in the notebooks, those were actually handwritten notes. They actually had people like actually write those out as the props. Wow. That's awesome. Well, that explains why I looked all authentic and whatnot. Cool. So, any final thoughts about this movie, guys? Nope. No, I'm good. So, on that note, thank you guys for listening to the Cinema Slayers Podcast. Check us out on the internet at www.cinemaslayers.com. Check us out on Facebook at Cinema Slayers Podcast. Check us out on Twitter and Instagram at Cinema underscore Slayers. Uh, next episode or next time we do one of those it will be one of Justin's picks I won't say what you guys get to be surprised by that but it is one of Justin's movies on that one uh, we are going to do a couple of bonus episodes coming up because we just kind of want to do some more fun stuff so we will have that uh, I did also talk to a tattoo artist today about getting my tattoo unfortunately my original plan was it was going to be on my back and I was going to do it as a cover up but after talking to the tattoo artist uh, we're going to kind of go bigger with it and I've got a few tattoos on my back that would kind of make going like big with it hard. So we're doing my thigh. So it's actually going to take up a big, um, like my thigh. So it's still going to be a big ass fucking thing. So, uh, yeah, expect some pictures and videos and all that other stuff of that coming up, uh, for you guys too. And, uh, other than that, I, 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 I stumbled again. Fuck it. Ah, fuck this all this shit. Um, Justin said, Muno is the best picture winner. <laughs> I wish I knew that song. This is the song that never ends. Blah, 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 blah. This is the song that never ends. I don't know why I've been stumbling on that part so fucking much lately. <laughs> it's weird. I don't know. I just keep stumbling. And that's my line. That's my thing. And I've been stumbling on it every fucking episode lately. Jeez.